Father, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to come as a family and commune with you, hear from you, hear your heart on family and um, just get a download from you today. And we pray that you just um, anoint Greg for your word and we pray that you just give us listening hearts to soak in everything you want to teach us individually and as a body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Andrea. Um, well, welcome this morning. Um, it's great that we're out here on a freezing cold morning. And I was just saying before, I was in, obviously as you guys know, Cambodia two and a half weeks ago, where it was about 40 degrees, and now we're about minus something. So uh, talk about the extremes, but um, at least you can wrap up here. <laughs> so, um, so welcome. Who, was, who came to the very first one we had a couple of months ago? That is cool. It's awesome. Well done. And um, this is what we're just calling Family Dynamics 2, and uh, you know we're going to look at um, five things today, or go through five things. One, just to recap, uh, what what does it mean to be wholehearted? What does it mean to to live a life of wholeheartedness? Because that really defines everything. It defines your relationship with Him. It defines your relationship with others. Um, and so we're going to just briefly look at that. We're going to look at the purpose of the marriage covenant. It's essential that we understand his purpose for his marriage covenant, not our understanding of what we think marriage is. So we're going to look at that. Uh, the battle for spiritual oneness in the marriage covenant. How many of you will know there is a battle for wholeheartedness and oneness in a marriage covenant? It's a real thing. And so Danny and I today are going to open up a little bit about our marriage and some of the tensions that we have gone through, go through, will continue to go through, uh, because we do not have the perfect marriage. I don't think it exists, to be honest. And somehow, sometimes within the church, people think because you have a position, uh, you have the perfect everything. You are the perfect person, you have the perfect kids, you have the perfect wife and husband. Well, it's all a myth and it's all a lie. So we all go through the same thing. So we want to open up in this whole area of this battle between loving and submitting. And what does that look like? And how do you do that? And what are the challenges to that? You know, how is a man to love like Christ loves? Well, a man can't love like Christ loves if he's not submitted to Christ. And how does a woman surrender to a man that's on a journey of growth and development? who's not perfect. Well, she can't if she's not submitted to Christ. And so we're going to unpack some of the stuff. The challenge is going to be interesting. Uh, then we've got a number of people coming to give us practical tips, practical keys to how to enhance your physical marriage, how to, how to make it uh, better, how to enhance it, how to improve it. What are some of the things? So um, Louis and Estelle are going to come and talk about communication. And I love what Louis said. He said, I've learnt, and I'm not going to say too much, I'm going to let uh, Estelle speak. See, I've learnt the lesson. And I love how Estelle And um, so that we're going to look at different things and how, how are little things that we can do to just keep romance going. Because it's so easy, isn't it? It's like your relationship with Christ. You know, if you don't keep investing, it can die and it can go backwards. So we're going to look at some of those things. We have five people come share, and then we're going to have just a question and answer time. And so there'll be just a panel again, like in the first one, where we've got opportunity just to ask questions. Some of the questions, like last time, we may not be able to answer. It may be uh, questions that you want to take outside of a, a big forum like this. Um, at the same time, we'll try and answer as, as much as we can um, and bring his perspective, not our own, but his perspective. So um, I'm going to start by telling you a wee joke. So it'll be a good way to start the, the morning off and and if you've heard this joke, it's quite an old joke, so if you've heard me say it before, just don't spoil it um, and don't share it with anybody. But there's this couple called Fred and Muriel. And Fred and Muriel are an American couple, and they've been married for 50 years. And they're now in their 90s, and uh, they live in the, in, in the south of America. And anyway, they go every year they go to this fair, and at the fair there's a guy who's doing plane rides. And it's always been Fred's dream to go up in a plane because he's never been in a plane. And anyway, the day arrives and 
I turn up, and uh, Fred says, hey, Muriel. He says, there's that guy with his plane rides again. Can I go up on a plane? And Muriel said, well, how much is it, Fred? He says, well, it's $10. She says, $10 is $10, and no, you can't go on no plane ride. We can't afford that. And he's like, oh, it shooks. So anyway, so he gets the hump, and they go to the, the fair for the day, and you know, a year passes, and they go back, because they go to this fair every year. Hey, Muriel, hey, Muriel, that guy's here with his plane rides again. He said, can I go on the plane ride? You know, it's, uh, I'm getting on a bit in years. She said, well, how much is it, Fred? And she, he says, well, it's $10. She says, Fred, I told you last year, $10 is $10, and no, you can't go on no plane ride. Oh, shucks, woman. <laughs> so he gets the hump. So and anyway, another year goes by. Another year goes by. Now they're 95. Fred turns up, and there's the guy with his, with a signed $10 plane ride. Hey, Muriel, Muriel, Muriel. Look, that guy's here, and we ain't got long left on the earth. Do you think I can go on that plane ride? Well, how much is it, Fred? Well, it's um, $10. How much is it? Well, it's $10. She said, Fred, I told you five years ago. I told you four years ago. You ain't going no plane ride because $10 is $10. Oh, shucks, Muriel. I'm sick of this woman. Anyway. As he's about to walk off, the guy who owns the plane ride just happens to walk by. He says, excuse me, ma'am. He said, but uh, I can't help but overhear that uh, your husband's been trying to get on my plane for the last five years, and you won't let him get on the plane because you think $10 is too expensive. Yeah, that's right. It's too expensive. And he don't deserve it either. <laughs> he said, well, I want to make a bet with you. He said, she said, what's that? He said, well, I'll take you on my plane ride, and if you and your husband don't make any sound, I won't, it will be, it'll be free. The plane ride will be free. I won't charge you $10. You think you could do that? And Fred's like, come on, Muriel. Come on, Muriel. That'd be cool. Come on, Muriel. We can go on this. We will get it for free. And she's like, oh, I don't know about that. Come on, Muriel. Come on, Muriel. Let's do this. Let's do this thing. And the guy's like, it'll be free. You don't make a sound. It'll be free. So she agrees. So they get all kitted up, and Fred's excited. He throws off his walker, and he gets in the thing. They got the kit on. He's got his, you know, he's got his glasses on, his head on, and she's in there. And they take off, and it's one of those open, open thingy planes, you know, it's open cockpit and all that. <laughs> up they go, and they say, and Fred's like, you know, the little bit of hair he's got left. He's like, Woo-wee, this is awesome, you know. Anyway, and she's hanging on, you know. And so the guy says, oh well, I'll see, do a few loop de loops because I got, I don't want to. So when I turn up to you, like this, and nothing. He goes, oh. So anyway, he says, oh, I better do my next move, and double loops, nothing, not a sound. These old people, they've got it together. So he does a few more loop-de-loops, he does some downs and ups, not a sound. Then he says, I know, I've got this one. I'll do my upside-down reverse, flip it up and down, go down, back up, that'll do it. So they go, not a sound. He can't believe it. So he goes, well, that's it. I'm going to have to, they're going to, you know, I'm going to have to pay them the $10. So he lands the plane. He turns around. And there's just Fred. <laughs> he said, Fred, what happened to Muriel? He said, well, he said, you do it all your loop-de-loops. He said, yeah, and she fell out the plane. He said, well, why didn't you say anything? He said, well, I thought about it, but $10 is $10. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what marriage can be like at times. <laughs> so, where do we go from there? <laughs> Wholeheartedness. <laughs> Whichever way you commit. Wholeheartedness. What does it mean to be wholehearted? And uh, just I just wrote a couple of things down. One, it means you have given your entire heart to him. So as I said, everything starts with him. Everything will finish with him. And to be wholehearted means you've chosen to give your entire being to him. You're committing yourself to him, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, it's what the great commandment teaches, as we know. You know, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest thing a human being can do? 
can do out of all the teachings, out of all the things, is to love God with everything you are as a human. It means no other person or object has any part of your heart. And this is the challenge we face because we live in a world, grow up in a world, and even within this environment that teaches you to give your heart to a person. It says, find the person of your dreams and give your heart to them and let them give their heart to you. And so this is what we're taught predominantly in the world and can be taught and have been possibly taught in a Christian community. But actually the Bible says, doesn't say that, the Bible says give your entire heart to him and don't give it to a person. Now there's really good reasons why you wouldn't want to give your heart to a person. And I don't know if anyone's been hurt big time here, I have. You understand why you wouldn't want to give your heart to a person because you give your heart to a person, they can crush you. And through their own insecurities and their own issues, they can end up crushing your own heart. And when you've given your heart to someone else and they crush you, you get crushed. And that's just a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of heartache, and that can take years to get over if you ever get over it. But we have a God that says, no, no, give me your whole heart because I will never crush it. And I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and I will treat it with love and respect because I am the creator of you and the creator of your heart. And so wholeheartedness means we need to discover and go on a journey of giving him our entire being because we don't start that way. I wasn't born into, as you all know, a, a Christian home. And even if you're in a Christian home, it doesn't mean you give your whole heart. It can be completely irrelevant because it can be just Christian in words, but not in action. And that's another issue or a challenge. And so we're going to look at, because Jesus said, I'm not entrusting my heart to man, because I know what's in man. I know what is in every single person. Hence, I'm not going to entrust my heart to a person. I'm going to entrust it to my father. And so as sons, because he is a son, and sons being male and female, we need to follow his example because he's an example for us, isn't he? And so wholehearted. In other words, we love God with all and who we are because we've fallen in love with him. So often we would just operate out of sort of behavior modification and not have love in us. But when you fall in love, with him, the natural innate response is to give him. So like the world knows and as it teaches, you know, when you fall in love with a person, give them your heart. It's the same principle, but you need to fall in love with him before you love him for the person. And so when you fall in love with him, taste and see the Lord is good, and you fall in love with God and love fills you with himself, no human being can compete with that love. And because no human being can compete with it when you've received it, the natural innate response is to give it to him and not to the person. I've said this before. The only reason you give your heart to another person is because you don't yet know God enough and you haven't yet fallen in love with him enough to have that reversed. And so what you truly love, you give your heart to. Hence, the Bible says, where your treasure is, there you will find your heart. Which really what that means is what you truly love you will be found in it. And that is where the battle lies. It's a spiritual battle, ultimately, between our flesh and our spirit. That's really the real war that goes on. Yes, there is an adversary, but he plays on those two things. So you only he only has what we give him. So if you're going to live in the flesh, he'll play with that and mess you up. But if you live in the Spirit, he can't touch you. You just laugh at him and his schemes because you can see them for what they are. He only can use what we give him. He has no authority. He has power, but no authority. Jesus said, you have been given authority to speak to that and to him. And so we're to walk through life like we've been talking about as a community, wholeheartedly devoted to him, coming into him, and living and leading from that place. And there is all sorts of responsibilities God gives us 
as a male and a female. That's what we're going to look at. There's functioning order to way the marriage covenant works. If we don't abide by the functioning order, you have dysfunction. If we abide by the functioning order, you have order and you have life, isn't it? Choose today whom you will serve, me or yourself. One has life, one has death. And so it, this, is, this is such an important truth and teaching that we need to come into because I don't know about you guys, but I would have loved, what I'm, we're going to share today, I would have loved someone to have taught me before I got married to Danielle. It may have even decided whether I chose to got married or not because that's what Paul says. Not because I'm married to Danielle, because I may have gone, you know what? Getting married might cause me to have undistracted devotion to him. And if I add children to that, now I'm even more distracted. And if I add all these other things that life brings, I'm so now distracted, I'm now entangled in life. And so the chances of me giving my heart to God are minimalized because I've given my heart to eight different things. He's not even in the picture. And life is literally consuming me. And yet God is the creator of all those things. So all the good things God has created, instead of me being free, have now entangled me up in them and now are causing death. Why? Because I haven't allowed God to define my whole life. I define it. See, it's so critical that we have his perspective, not our own perspective. Would you agree? If my perspective is not his perspective, it's a wrong perspective. If I live from my wrong perspective, I don't have the life that's promised in God. Because the truth will set you free. So God is not a liar. So I am to come into not only him, but his ways. And that's what Peter failed, didn't he? He understood who the Messiah was because it was revealed from heaven. But then when it came to God's ways, he completely was missing the mark. My ways is I'm going to Jerusalem to die. No, you're not. Get behind me, Satan, for your mindset is of the demonic. You don't have a demon. But where that mindset comes from is the kingdom of darkness and it's getting in the way of me and you. So we need to know the ways of God. We must have God's perspective. We must see from divine perspective and live from it. Otherwise, we're going to get entangled up in the things God has given us. Marriage is a classic. You'll be entangled up in your husband or wife. They'll be entangled in you. And it's just death. It's horrible. It's horrible when two people come together and they need to get something from one another. They come to get. That's a recipe for disaster as opposed to we come wholeheartedly to give. They're radically different positions and yet a lot of people get married because they want to get something because they haven't yet got from him. And so we need to understand that. Um, and our problem is we don't start wholehearted. We start with a broken heart. We start with a divided heart. We start loving ourselves more than anybody. <laughs> that needs to shift. And because we love ourselves, we love the things that are attached to ourselves, so then we form these idols. And then you meet this guy called Jesus. And I was 29 when I met him, and I was loving me. I was loving everything about me. I was loving... Everything about me, and I was creating my own life. And so then you meet this guy called Jesus, and he says, hey, now you need to start loving me. I quite like loving me. I quite like living for me. Quite lovable, I thought. <laughs> he said, yeah, I love you too. But, but uh, I want you to fall in love with me. Because if you fall in love with you, it's just a recipe for disaster. But if you fall in love with me, it's a recipe for life. And that's been my experience. As I've let go of me, as I've allowed him to build me, as I've allowed him, if I've come to him in weakness and surrender his way and allowed him to go to work on my heart, 
And as I've given him my entire life, life comes. His ways work. Ours don't. Mine wasn't. But we don't come to him. We come to him with a piece of our heart given over here and a piece given here and a piece given here and a piece given here and a piece. So I've got eight pieces of my heart. You've got on your table chocolates. Ooh, who started eating them already? It's okay, you're allowed to. It's a whole chocolate. It's not half a chocolate for my daughter. Do you like that? <laughs> That's cool. It's a whole chocolate. <laughs> it's not half a chocolate. That'd be stingy. Give you a whole chocolate. See, it's a whole heart. God wants to restore that. Which means, and we're going to look at this, you've got to take your heart back from people you've given it to and give it to him. So one of the things I wrote down is, ladies, you need to allow your husband to take his heart back from you. And men, you need to allow your wife to take her heart back from you. And if you don't allow it, it'll never happen and you won't be wholehearted. Can we let our husbands and our wives take their hearts back and give them to the one who asked for it? Or are we that insecure? We can't let it happen. And see, this is why we need to be wholehearted. We need to be full. So actually we can come into the right order. Otherwise we're in dysfunction. And so I want to look a bit at that. Listen to what 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. 2 Chronicles 69. For the eyes of the Lord from a divine place move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God has been looking from the creation of time, beginning of creation, sorry. And he will continue to look for his bride. For those people that are flowing in him and in his order. And he looks. Who is transitioning from their old life to their new life? Who has gone from living for themselves and everything about them? Because remember, we love ourselves. Meet Christ. Come into his life and his teachings allow them to start defining us, and now in time are now wholeheartedly his. So he's looking, and we all have been given a mark. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach me to number my days. Lord, teach me to number my days that a heart of wisdom will be produced in me. May I not be so apathetic with my life here on earth. May I not be living for me Teach me to know that the gap between 1969 and whenever my life ends, I have come into and learnt from you in your ways so I can experience the fullness of life now and in the future that you have for me. Lord, I do not want to get entangled in the things that are of you and from you that prevent me from actually having a whole heart and love towards you for you have created me to be your possession. First and foremost, you and I were created not for one another, but for him. And we return unto him, don't we? And he has always and will be looking for his people that are wholly consecrated and set apart unto him, for he wants to take you into eternity with him and to be this close to him face to face. So he must know who really are his Really, that's what this whole book is about. That's what the whole story is about. God is looking for his people that actually truly love him. That's why it's the greatest commandment. If you want to simplify the gospel, that's what it is. God is looking for his people that love him, not themselves, love him more than they love anyone and anything. And their lives reflect that statement. That is your bride. And we love to believe and we love to teach that we're all going to be it. I don't believe that's what Scripture says. My personal conviction is Scripture does not teach that position. It teaches that 
we are all his children, but his bride will be those that are wholehearted, those who are the wise virgins, those who use the talents they've been given wisely and serve the Lord with their life. For I no longer live, Paul said, but I live to the one who rescued me, came to me, I lay my life down for him and him alone. So wholeheartedness is huge, isn't it? And it must affect every relationship that we enter into on this planet. Wholeheartedness must affect my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my men that I walk with, my relationship with you as a wider community, and my relationship with the world. Wholeheartedness must be the epicenter of my heart. Him in me, me in him, and I live from that position. Otherwise, I will not fulfill and come into it, and I will be entangled in the things that are of him. And I won't love him with all my heart. It may be half, it may be a quarter, it may be eighth. I may not even love him at all. I may just accept his grace thank you very much, and live for me my whole life. And that's the challenge that the church faces. Luke 2.34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John 2.24, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. So the question is, who are we honestly entrusting ourselves to? You have to be bold enough, brave enough, and courageous enough to look at that question and answer it honestly, knowing that you are all covered under the umbrella called love and grace. Paul said that in my ignorance, his grace was over me. So in what I thought was right, how I was living, what I thought I was doing right, killing the church, in my ignorance, his grace was covering until the day he revealed himself within me that I woke up to the reality that is and how I'm supposed to be living, and now I live in accordance. And so this is our challenge. And so I would encourage you to really, really, knowing that you're his, that's what empowers you to be able to look at these questions, knowing that you're his, knowing that the answer to this isn't going to get you expelled out of the family because you're already his. So knowing that creates the security and the comfort and the humility to be able to look at that question and to be found out if you find yourself not in the position. It's a great day to realize, wow. And the Bible says this is what you do. You turn, you repent, you ask for forgiveness and you ask him to fill you so you can actually say yes to that question. And God gives you time and time and grace and grace and grace and love and love because he wants to do a work. Why? Because he wants you to experience the fullness of the life that he called you into and he wants you to experience the fullness of a relationship with him and what it's like. Jesus died that we would experience freedom from everything. Everything. To live here free from all the trial, all the tests, all the lust, all the insecurities, all the jealousy, all the worries. It ain't get better than that. It's an abundant, resourceful, indestructible, eternal, resurrectional life, and it can be experienced here on earth. But it won't if our heart's not his. Wholeheartedness brings the fullness of life. Half-heartedness doesn't. Hence, we have to look at that question and ask the question of ourselves if we truly want the full life that Jesus came to bring. It only comes to wholeheartedness. Is that okay? This is Danielle and I's 15th year of marriage, and if we are entrusting our hearts to one another, then this marriage will never be all that God intends it to be. But if we both give our entire hearts to him, then our marriage will be all he intends it to be and become. This will then be a marriage that glorifies God. Ultimately, everything that he does is to glorify himself. And it's a win-win. When Daniel and I live wholeheartedly, he gets glorified, number one. Our lives are to glorify him, full stop. 
Two, we get to experience a life that's not of this earth. And three, a church and a world get to see a marriage that truly reflects God, which then glorifies God. How many people know that the enemy's attacking the covenant of marriage? Why? Why? Why is it? Because he knows if he can attack the covenant of marriage, he can destroy family. What's everybody looking for? Family. Love. What are you and I called to be? A business? An organization? So then why do most places run like them? A family. A family, a family, a family. Is God not the father? Are we not his children? So we're called to be a family that live like family, that are the ones who model the family covenant. So a world looks and sees the way God intends family to be and marriage to be. They see it, go, our marriages do not look like that at all. How do you get past your issues and your differences and your personalities and all the hurts and that? Ah, let me tell you, we've got a God that changes us from the inside out because we've learned how to love and submit to him. And so now you have a marriage that truly reflects the Lord and the world look and are in complete awe and go, can we have that? You see, so the enemy knows where to attack. He's doing a great job. So he attacks the marriage covenant. He attacks and we put in laws because we have no wisdom. And so what we think is wise is not, and it's destroying this country, countries around the world, and it's all prophesied, so it's all going to happen. But we are to be living a different way, aren't we? We are to be the demonstration of God on the earth. We are to be his representatives. We are to be his ambassadors. We are to be the demonstration that the manifold wisdom of God would come through the church, the world, and the angelic realm would look and go, wow, and a world does too because we're wholehearted, because we understand God's ways and we're living for them. We can never get who we are supposed to be from one another. We must get who we are from him. And when we both do this, Danielle and I, and give, their marriage is a blessing. But outside of this, it can be absolutely horrible. Danny can't take anything from me. You know why? Because she doesn't have me. And that can be really hard to hear. But it's the truth, and it's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm not supposed to be able to take anything from her because I don't have her. See, he completes us. He was complete, and we are to be complete in him, wholehearted. You see, Danny didn't accept me. He accepted me. He made me right. Same with her. I can't fix my wife. I'm not created to. I'm called to love my wife. And so we're attempting more and more to live this out. But She can't take away from me because she never accepted me because I never gave anything to her. So hear what I'm saying in the spirit. She accepted me as her husband. I accepted her as my wife. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that I don't look to get anything from her. I look to get it from him. And now I'm able to love her unconditionally with the love of the Father. Three reasons why she can't take away from me. I've just said I have given my whole heart to him. He is the one who accepted me and reconciles me. He is the one who defines me. This is what it means to be wholehearted. And this is the journey that we're on more and more. All right. So the purpose of marriage. This is interesting, this one, because I don't know what you've been taught. Uh, I know what I've sort of heard or, you know, been coming through the church. And 
I haven't, this is just me personally, I haven't heard that the purpose of marriage firstly is about oneness. I've always heard it's about having children. It's the environment that you create to populate the earth. Uh, it's so you can have sex without, you know, feeling bad. <laughs> get into it, get married, so you can have as much sex as you want, guys. And so, you know, all these 18-year-olds get married, and yeah, let's get married, let's have sex. And look, God calls you to get married at 18, get married at 18. But sometimes in this environment, it's like, let's hope people don't have sex or they don't sin. Sometimes the worst thing you can do. What about what the Bible actually says in Genesis 2.24, which is where you see the first principle mentioned about a man leaving his mother and father and being joined to his wife. See, the very, very first reason God created the covenant of marriage, which is with himself and with one another, is for oneness. Spiritual oneness. Why do you think the enemy is attacking marriage? He knows if he can take the marriage covenant out and get the church not living for the marriage covenant the way God designs it, he destroys oneness with God and one another. What did Jesus pray in John 17? I pray that my people would be one. Why? So a world would know that I was sent for them. God's purpose is to glorify himself. So the enemy attacks the marriage covenant. And if we don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, we can be off-center of what we think marriage is all about. Because I'm not wholehearted, so I come into it to try and get something from Daniel. And because I'm not wholehearted, I'm insecure in myself, and I need this need met, I'm going to get it from her, what happens when she can't meet the need? What happens when my wife doesn't perform to the standard that I demand? What happens when she doesn't submit to me because that's the teaching? You know, not quite like that, it's not. Well, then I trade her in for a new model because she's just not doing what I want her to do. Oh, really, son? How are you getting on with uh, how your functional role is and all that? <laughs> Failing miserably if that's my stinking attitude towards her. So what is this purpose? Outside of our relationship with Christ, the covenant of our human marriage is the second best environment that God has designed to create spiritual oneness with God and one another. Think about it. Where is oneness formed? Me and him. That's where it starts. Me and the Lord. Greg, I'm going to promise to love you. I'm going to love you with a love that believes, hopes, endures all things. It will hold no wrongs against you. Even when you stuff up time and time and time again, when you say you'll do this and you never do it, when you speak words that aren't, you don't have a lifestyle to back up in action, I will continue to love you into submission. Your role is to submit to my love. If you know my love, son, you will willfully lay your life down and submit to it. Because it is so beautiful. So beautiful. Words cannot describe the love of the Father. But you and I can experience it, and it will create this. And then you walk differently. You don't stay down in this false sense of humility. You get up in true humility and you walk realigned. So that's where oneness starts. Then that person goes into the marriage. And two people must enter in like that. Because if only one does then there's not going to be oneness in the marriage, is there? There's going to be division more than there is oneness. And that's where each of us have a responsibility 
Ultimately, it's our own responsibility to live this out. So the tension is that I could have more oneness with Simon English than I do with Danielle because Simon chooses to lay his life down and my wife doesn't. Or my wife can have more oneness with Kirsten because they're both choosing to lay their lives down and I'm not. The problem with that is God has designed the environment to be a husband and a wife. Think about it. Why? Because a husband and a wife have children. And the parents are modelling what that looks like to the children. Then you take that model and you bring it into, which is a family, the family of God. So when everyone in that family is modelling that, it transitions through the family. So the ultimate family are the people of God who gather called the body of Christ. So when it starts in an individual, then it starts in a marriage, then it starts with kids, then it starts and comes through the 12, then it comes into 500. (sighs) Oneness. I pray that my people will be one. But where does it start? Here and me and my wife. So, has it started in your marriage covenant? Or are you fighting one another? Are you wrestling for your wants and what you want and how this is going to look? Because I got married to get this. I didn't come into it to give this. I came to get this. It's massive, eh? Can you see why there's a war? I'm going to read you. Um, what's the time? Ten, okay. Man, flies, eh? Um, I, in about two weeks' time, we're going to have in our hands uh, when I can find the book that I've just finished. Um, and it's called Bird's Eye View, and it's all about seeing from a bird's eye view. And it's really putting the last six years into print because God said put it into print so people can get it into their hands so they can read it over and over and over. And so you hear bits on Sundays, but it's going to be something that's, you know, it's a book, so there you go. And so we're going to have it in about two weeks' time. It's taken me a year and a bit to do. Long process, eh? I only read two books before I was a follower of Christ, and now I've written one. (laughs) My dad would be laughing his head off, man. So this is part of the book that I've written. I just want to read this to you, and it comes from Jesus and his bride. Ephesians 5.32 This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Human marriage is a foreshadow of something far greater, and yet for many followers of Jesus Christ, we have made marriage about us. Why? Because we have failed to see the greater purpose of our human marriage covenants and have made marriage an end in itself instead of it being a means towards a greater end, that is Christ. That is, sorry, that is the church's marriage to Christ. We see in Ephesians 5.31, the words of a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where does this reference come from? Is this the first time that the Bible mentions this truth? Is this truth only found in the New Testament? Or do we find this truth in the Old Testament? We find this truth in the first book of God's living word in chapter 2. Right at the start of the book, we find this truth. That's funny, isn't it? Right at the start. Isaiah said, he declared the God, God is the God who declares the end from the beginning. So really to truly walk in alignment, you need to know the end. Then you start. The end is a marriage covenant with the Father. So the start is the two become one. Powerful, man, when we have our eyes open to this stuff. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Why is the two to become one flesh when a marriage is about two people? The husband is to love his wife and the wife is to submit or align herself to her husband. And in doing so, they are becoming one person. Who then is the second person in this relationship? I am not speaking from a physical context now, but a spiritual one. As a husband and a wife become one in spirit through the God-given process of love and submission, and they both have their eyes fixed upon Christ and not one another, this process of transformation starts to occur, and Christ becomes the other person in the marriage covenant. I wonder what Christian marriages would look like if more of us carried this revealed position of truth. I think we'd be more committed to work out our differences and be devoted to the covenant we have committed to. 
just imagine discipling our children to this reality of Christ of, as well. The process of becoming one with Christ and one another in the Spirit, the very thing that Jesus prayed for in John seventeen twenty to 23 has now begun. This is all in preparation for our marriage covenant with Christ in eternity and speaks to why there is no physical marriages after the resurrection. Listen to the scripture in Mark, Mark 12, 24, 25. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? So they were asking about, well, who's going to be married to this woman because there were seven brothers. And he's going, what are you talking about? There is no resurrection. Do you not understand the scriptures? See, we must have God's perspective on God's scriptures. Otherwise, we won't live the lives we're called to live. It's powerful, isn't it? It's so easy to put your mindset on his scriptures and create your truth and then live according to your truth, but you will never and I will never have the life of my truth. My perspective must be his perspective on his scriptures. His way must become my way, otherwise there is no life. What happens when my perspective is not his perspective? I try and get into truth the other way. So if he is the pen and he is the gate, this is what I do. I don't like that way. I'll go round the pen and try and find life here than the pen. And I live here for 6, 8, 12 months, 20 years, and I still never find the truth. And because I still haven't found it, you know what I need to do now? I need to create another way. So I go round it again. Because God's trying to bring me back here to go, look, here's the door, son, my way. Christians can live your whole lives like that. Your whole life can be lived and never come into the life that comes through the door because your eyes haven't been opened and your ears can't hear his ways. So just like these people, we're living for an order that's not of him, but it's wrapped up with his name. And we have to come out of that and come into him. It's important to know that we do not have to be married in the physical to become the spiritual bride of Christ. Marriage in the physical is only one of the environments that God uses as a means for this transformational work. If we are married, it is essential we understand this greater spiritual purpose for the marriage covenant so that it accomplishes its purpose. What's the purpose of marriage? Oneness. A male would love like Christ loves, and a female would align herself, would submit to that as Christ does. When that happens, you have oneness in spirit. That is a phenomenal place to live from and to be in because it's one with him, fellowship with the Christ. You have Christ's life in you, and you live from it. Powerful. Failure to come into the spiritual understanding and purpose of a physical human marriage will limit and hinder the true work the Father wants to accomplish in and through you. We will find ourselves falling short of the position of spiritual oneness with him and one another. That is the bridal position. I believe this is one of the reasons why Paul's first place position on marriage is not to get married. He says there's nothing wrong with marriage, but he warns us of the traps of marriage if we don't understand its true purpose in our spiritual transformational process. 1 Corinthians seven twenty nine to 35 Go read that. It completely is so clear. So I won't read it just for time. Paul is not saying if you are married and you don't like your marriage, go get a divorce. He is saying if you are married and have become entangled with worldly affairs, then it's time to disentangle from these affairs and start living for him and the true purpose behind his design for marriage. This is why he then says that all those who are unmarried are focused and concerned about the things of the Lord and give the Lord undistracted devotion rather than getting caught up in all the pitfalls that marriage brings. If you are married today, are you caught up in all the pitfalls that marriage brings? The concerns of your husband or wife, the concerns of your children, the concerns of the world. Or are you in a posture and position of undistracted devotion to the Lord? God desires and longs to see marriages where both the husband and the wife are in a position of undistracted devotion to the Lord, a position of spiritual oneness with him and one another. That is a marriage of life because it's his life in both the husband and the wife that is present and evident. Now that's an environment to bring children into.
Here's the thought. The spiritual health of my marriage is reflective of our spiritual health as individuals. And that's the truth. And the spiritual health of an individual is determined by the spiritual health in this body. So we'll only be one as a body to the measure we are one with the Lord as an individual. So all those that are one and becoming one with the Lord will have a oneness and experience a oneness in the body that all those that aren't on that journey won't. And that's what's been happening here. So as we enter into more of him and allow him to build us, more oneness occurs. And so there's a oneness. You can say things that people understand. You talk because the maturity of the Spirit's coming out and people are hearing in the Spirit because they are one with the Spirit. Because they're not words taught by human wisdom. They're words taught by the Spirit, even though they come in an English language. And so everyone says yes and amen because of the oneness that they're having with the Father, with the Spirit of God. And this is the challenge that everyone would be on this journey. And those that are coming into more of that, so once again on a body perspective, are loving those unconditionally that are still on the journey like any family and encouraging those to seek and come into and leave self behind to receive the new. But there is an absolute war for that. <laughs> and it's in the marriage. So, um, Danny, won't you come now and um, share your part on uh, our war? <laughs> <laughs>